something motivational, inspirational, and conversational. Oh, artists at home. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us. Thank you for asking and thank you for being patient uh, in my disorganized late email is Ryan alive communication style. (laughs) (laughs) No worries, no worries. This is a crazy time for everyone. I mean, before we get started here, for anyone who's been living under a rock or hasn't picked up a copy of Now Magazine lately, uh, do you want to let us know a little bit about who you are and the work you do? Yeah. Uh, so uh, my name is Ryan G. Hines. Uh, I'm a, a actor, director, singer, dancer, actor. Um, I uh, produce sometimes. Uh, I'm the second VP of uh, Actors' Equity Council, uh, also an Ontario counselor. Um, I'm an associate artist at Lemon Tree Creations. Uh, I'm a cat daddy. I love my cat, Sammy. He's crawling around here somewhere. Uh, and that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. It's a pretty big nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So how has this pandemic affected your work? You know, what were you working yeah. on and how have you adapted it to, yeah. to the unknown here? Well, uh, what I was working on... Uh, all of those shows were canceled. So uh, I was uh, three days away from beginning rehearsal for Paradise Lost at the National Arts Center in Ottawa, which was uh, a dream gig of mine directed by Sarah Stanley, who I adore. Um, So that kind of disappeared. Uh, The production of Lilies that uh, Lemon Tree brought to uh, Buddies and Bad Times last year, we were due due to go to Montreal that disappeared. Uh, some smaller things disappeared. And those are all things that can't really easily move online. It's not like you can take a, a big, gigantic NAC main stage production like, like Paradise Lost and just do it as a Zoom kind of thing. Um, we did do our first day of rehearsal uh, via Zoom, so that was pretty cool because we got to uh, read the script and see our costume designs and, and see uh, the set and hear what the music would have been. Uh, so it got to be alive for one day before it, uh, before it died. <laughs> um, but in terms of things that I've been able to keep going, uh, everything that I've done while in pandemic uh, they've all been surprises to me. They were all things that uh, have happened since we've been in quarantine. Uh, at the beginning of quarantine, and well, actually through a lot of quarantine, I've been the the uh, the doom uh, doomsday person. I've been the one who's running around being like, the industry is over. None of us are ever going to work again. Theater is dead. All of our career mem- momentum is out the window. Um, and fortunately, that's proven not to be true. So I'm, I'm happy to have been wrong about that. Um, I, uh, I got to co-MC the Pride special that CBC Gem did. Uh, I got to do uh, a full 45-minute cabaret live from my very glamorous bedroom for Buddies in Bad Times. Uh, and I directed a play at uh, Fringe Festival, uh, all from the comfort of my own couch. So that was a co- kind of cool experience. But uh, it's, it, it's, it's just been really interesting how things happen in ways that you couldn't have foreseen or couldn't have, uh, couldn't have expected. For sure. And how has that experience been for you? Because, I mean, like you were mentioning, you've kind of done a, a 
vast variety of, you know, all sorts of things throughout your career. <laughs> and this is something that, I mean, no one's thought of, no one's touched on because it was never <laughs> necessary before. <laughs> How has this experience been for you? And were there any kind of learning curves that you, you had to work around? Uh, I, I will say it definitely hasn't been easy. Uh, I am somebody who uh, can be prone to depression. So, uh, sometimes just like finding the motivation, not even just to be creative, but just to, to get out of bed and start the day, um, has been a tricky, tricky thing to navigate. Um, but having said that, uh, we're all, we're all kind of show folk, right? You know, we all, when, when the chips are down, we pull out the old razzle-dazzle to quote Hades Town and Chicago in one sentence. <laughs> so it's been just an experience of, it's kind of like doing a puzzle. You just kind of sit down and think, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Um, I'm uh, still an early career director. I've only uh, been directing a few years now. So directing the Fringe show was interesting because I'm still figuring out my personal process, let alone how to do it digitally. So my discovery with it was, even though we were online, it's it was still kind of a similar process. It's still uh, me asking questions of the actor. It's still um, figuring things out with a playwright and and talking to the designers and and uh, in our case, uh, it was a sound designer and talking to him and and uh, hearing hearing what he wanted or what he thought was appropriate for this moment what uh versus what i thought uh was appropriate uh for the moment um so it's all just it's, it's all just negotiation and then you kind of end up with this with this thing uh, in our case instead of ending up with a flesh and blood show on stage we ended up with a mp3 of a show uh and we birthed it to the world and it's 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 been cool uh I'm not, I'm not the most technological person. Uh, I'm very open about that. I'm kind of analog as, as uh, I'm analog as the day is long, I used to say. Um, so picking up the technological things have been a bit tricky. Anytime that I have to do anything that requires a special mic or a special light or a special program, I get very like, uh, tense. Uh, but when it's just the... Uh, the act of of being creative when it's just singing a song or or doing a play reading and having to invent a character uh, those muscles are still still the same and they still work the same way and how do you you know ensure that you're that what you're doing is kind of landing and engaging the audience when yeah. you're doing it through a screen because obviously in theater we you have that kind of live feedback from your audience right and you can yeah. very much tell if if they're engaged or or you know which parts of your show are landing the best how do you do that through a screen when you don't have that feedback uh, sometimes you don't sometimes <laughs> you just cross your fingers and hope you're still funny i had this really uh funny experience when i did uh, my uh, bedroom cabaret for buddies, because as you said, we're so used to, um, I call it riding the audience. You find, uh, you match their rhythm and you figure out, okay, they're, they're going to applaud for this long after, after a song. So uh, in 
eight seconds or however long the applause lasts. I have enough time to catch my breath, drink some water, wipe the sweat off my brow, game face into the next number. And in doing my bedroom cabaret, I would hit like the finale note of the song silence and just have to go into the next one and it fully like it was like I fully had flop sweat I fully was like I don't know if people think this is interesting I didn't really want to take the time to start reading the comments because then the the momentum the momentum of the show goes away uh so I tried to stay in the moment um Afterwards, uh, I got a lot of really, really great feedback and people had a really, really good time, which is, you know, the, the, the name of the game. So I was grateful for that. But it just kind of comes down to trusting your, trusting your abilities as an artist and trusting your vision as an artist, which is frankly like a skill that we all really need to be solid in, not during pandemic times when it's just, you know, uh, uh, regular life. And it's something that a lot of artists, uh, I think struggle with. I know I certainly did for a long time, but the, at the end of the day, you just kind of have to go, I think this is funny, or I think this is good, or I think this is dramatic, whatever you think the thing is. And that's the important thing. And if I think it is, then other people will as well. Right, right. And I mean, I think that the nice thing here is that when it comes to this digital delivery of uh, theater, no one's done it before. So everyone's yeah. kind of in the same boat, figuring it out together, which, yeah. which makes the experience, I think, a little bit less intimidating because there's no, or I, get, I mean, I'm sure there are some people, but there's very few people who are experts in delivering this kind of content mm-hmm. in this way, mm-hmm. which obviously but- makes it easier. My favorite thing has been watching celebrities uh, like on um, uh, Seth Rudetsky has a has a, a recurring show called Stars in the House. And yeah. when Rosie O'Donnell had her show back for one night, it would cut to like Judith Light or whatever. And she'd be like, hello, is this is this can you can you hear me? That to me is the funniest thing. People who have Tonys and Oscar nominations and are big stars for the rest of us can't figure out their phone. It just makes me laugh so much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned that that Rosie O'Donnell special, and I remember watching it, and, you know, you, you see the, the whole list of uh, guests that they've published, you know, days in advance, and I think it was supposed to be, like, what, two hours long? Mm-hmm. And uh, we were, you know, maybe ten minutes out from the end of that two hours, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, I just have like 16 guests left. So, and I know, I think it was um, Stephanie J. Block tweeted that she had to put her kid to bed. So she had to bow out. Like it, it really was something that everyone was just kind of going with it and, and figuring out. And there was no, no judgment, no, you know, a couple people, but they'd pop up and uh, I can't remember who, somebody was in a bathtub. Oh, so that was actually, that's a, a, a good lesson. Um, was it... It wasn't Adrian Warren, was it? Yes, 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 from the Tina yeah. musical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she was in the bathtub. Her sound wasn't working. <laughs> they were like, okay, we'll go to somebody else. We'll come back to her. They come back to her. Her sound still isn't working. She's still in the tub. Attempt number three. They come back to her. Finally, the sound's working. But the lesson is she believed in the bit that she was doing. She believed it was funny. She was like, this is the bit that I planned and is entertaining to me. And it is going to be funny if I just stick with it. So many other people that I can think of would have given up on it and would have focused on on sorting yeah. out 
sorting out the tech, but she really, I, I, I really respected her for sticking with the bit and, and, yeah. and really. You just had to commit at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And it made it so much funnier when the sound finally, finally came on. And that, that was one of the best performances. And she had that little saxophone where she <laughs> mined the saxophone. Oh, that was, that was great. And that, that was such a, a cool thing. And I think it was so unique to see because, I mean, that was so early on in this. You know, it was mm-hmm. so nice to see this entire Broadway community just flood together so quickly. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, obviously it, w- it wasn't rehearsed or anything. You know, I think Patti Lapone and maybe two other people saying smile. Uh, yes. it, you know, it wasn't like this heavily curated thing like we're so used to seeing in these, these types of situations. It was just kind of people sitting in their homes just wanting to spread a little light to people yeah. which was which was so nice to see and and to me that like that that's the basis of theater i'm interested in um uh in the published version of angels in america uh, tony kushner has a foreword that uh, in which he says it's okay if the wires show and in fact it's better if the wires show and i i i i believe that i i really believe in in the kind of the magic of theater and the the it's okay if we see the strings holding on the mask or or it's okay if 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 everybody's doing the same song we'll go with it and and find a way to to make it work for ourselves um that's one of my favorite things about theater and the community that we have is we always find a way to make it work. And uh, I think we're really seeing that with this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone's finding ways to stay busy. I mean, mm-hmm. you were recently on the cover of Now Magazine. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, how did that come to be? And what was that process like for you? Because I mean, I think that's probably one of the coolest pandemic stories we're going to hear about yeah. how someone's, you know, <laughs> spent their time. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I've wanted to be on the cover of now for a long time. I think, you know, when you're an artist in Toronto of any kind, uh, the now cover is, is it's, it, it's, it's a big moment for you. And for the longest time, I was like, how am I going to engineer this into happening? What plan can I lay out? So they'll ask me. And uh, I could never think of anything, which is good. Um, so uh, I have a, a long history with Toronto Fringe. Uh, I've done a lot of shows with them uh, since, uh, I guess my first Fringe show was, I want to say, 2000 and eight or nine-ish, so over over a decade at this point. And some of them have been awful. Some of them have been great. Some of them, there's been three people in the audience for the whole run, and some of them have sold out the entire run. So I kind of had the gamut of, of Fridge experience. Um, so I got a DM in my Twitter from Glenn Sumi, who asked, uh, he, he had seen somewhere that I was directing this play, Sarah Frank, with Rebecca Perry, who is a, uh, a big fringe name written by Stephen Elliott Jackson, who was also a big fringe name. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, uh, we go, uh, we go live on whatever d- day we went live, go, uh, I'm sure you, uh, they'll send you a press release. And uh, a few days later, he emailed me and he was like, so uh, everybody at now agrees that we would love to have you on the cover. And I was like, yeah. what? 
<laughs> so uh, it felt really, really good to be asked. Uh, we did a photo shoot down at Cherry Beach, uh, kind of uh, amongst uh, amongst the trees and by the water. And I'm I'm somebody who a lot of me is glitter and sequins and like the aesthetic of the spotlight cutting through fog and and it's very. Uh, it's very not me, not public me, to do a kind of naturey photo shoot. The flip side of it is real me is always at the beach or in a park. I love being outside. I love being in nature. I love looking up at the sky and 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 looking at the stars and uh, tracing the planets. And I'm I'm a lot more of a hippie. Uh, space cadet than I think a lot of people realize. Anyway, so they asked me to do this outdoor uh, photo shoot and I was like, Cherry Beach, what? So we get down to Cherry Beach and it was golden hour. It was seven o'clock. The sun was kind of like low on the horizon, um, warm golden glow. And there were, uh, uh, the air was full of like um, that white fluffy pollen uh, just kind of like floating around. And I was like, that's now I get it. Now I understand what this is about because it did have a little bit of like the kind of like glitter magic thing that I love while at the same time being, uh, being connected to uh, outside in nature. Um, so the shoot was really, really cool. Uh, and then we did the interview over the phone. Um, Glenn has uh, reviewed my work for a long time. He's interviewed me a few times before for smaller pieces. So we have a really, really good vibe and I, I trust him deeply uh, to be open about things. And he wrote this really beautiful profile of me. It's, it's one of my favorite interview, interviews ever because it's kind of in this weird moment where none of us know what's going on, but uh, now and the Fringe Festival kind of agreed that like I was the person to uh, make everybody feel safe and content that they were going to get a good Fringe. And that is really, really meaningful to me. It's really special. Um, especially in this cultural moment that we're in, in terms of uh, race and culture and activism and things like that. Um, I've had a number of experiences over the years, uh, some of which I've talked about, some of which I haven't. Uh, and it was good to kind of uh, open up about them and and uh, talk about them against the backdrop of, of, of my career. So it was all around a wonderful experience. I highly recommend being on the cover of Now to anybody. <laughs> if you can find a way to make that happen, it's really worth it. <laughs> just, yeah, just casually, you know, <laughs> if you happen to be in the neighborhood when they're looking for someone. <laughs> so so you, you mentioned you, you do have a, a long history with Fringe. And I mean, mm -hmm. I love that you, you were very honest in, in saying that uh, you, you had some shows that did well and some that, that they didn't. bombed um, wendell they bombed <laughs> let's be honest let's be yeah, honest I mean, about that fact. It, it, it's so true because i think fringe is is really a starting point for a lot of people and it's it's great <laughs> i mean theater insomnia started at fringe um there's a lot of things that that we're very proud of of that endeavor and there's a lot of things that we look back on and think oh my god why <laughs> why did we think this was a good idea um <laughs> the number one thing being uh, we were a brand new company with this brand new show with no word of mouth, no nothing. But because we had projections in the show, we got stuck in this huge venue that uh, there was no chance we were going to sell out. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was like, a, a, it was the Al Green. I think it was a 300, 
ish uh, seat. Yeah. And I mean, so, and it's got you know, that big space at the at the front of the stage. Yes, too. Between, yes. Yeah. Everything, everything uh. about it was, you know, um, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I, I will say it, it, it was great in the sense that it was right on the subway line. So it was yeah. very easy for people to get to. Um, but, you know, we were averaging around 50 to 60 per show, which is not a bad thing thing especially for uh, for a new company but <laughs> when you look at that on the the scale of a 300 seat venue the the actors would be coming off stage going oh my god there's no one here there's no one Aww. here like well no there there was there was i promise and yeah. didn't look like it but there was yeah. um and that that's the good thing about fringe i think is like it 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 you learn it teaches mm. you it, it it shows you that even though it, it even though it, it like it might have felt like there's nobody in the audience 50 people for show for a first-time company is awesome 50 people for show at all is awesome you know like that's that's it's it's all it's all perspective it's all it, it's all part of being a well-rounded artist, you know, um, because I've had so many different experiences at Fringe, uh, that's part of what has made me into an experienced artist because I know how to handle a crisis. I know how to deal with it when you get awful reviews for the thing that you love. I know how to deal with it when you have amazing reviews, but you need to keep your feet on the ground and, and get through the grind of, 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 of doing your show. Um, so yeah, I love the fringe for just like the things that it teaches us and, and the way that it makes us well-rounded artists. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, the other thing too, is that, I mean, there obviously are still fees associated with it, but so minimal in comparison mm -hmm. to, you know, just producing your own work and, and putting it out there. So I, I think it really was a good platform for us to start and, and get a sense of, you know, I mean, there were definitely some things that we look back on and think, okay, maybe for this particular project, Fringe wasn't the right avenue for it. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, we wouldn't have learned that had we not been given that opportunity. And as a new company, we didn't have the funding to, you know, go out and rent out a venue and just do that on our own. Mm -hmm. So it, it's definitely great in that sense. Is there anything that that you've, any specific experience or any moment that really stands out to you as like, this was a learning moment for me? Um, uh, lots, so many, uh, it's, 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 it's hard to boil down to one. Um, uh, so I'll do a few, but keep it short. Uh, <laughs> uh, with Lemon Tree, I did a show called MSM Men Seeking Men. And it was a learning experience in terms of like, it was a very like explicit, uh, kind of raunchy, kind of dirty, kind of violent, um, uh, gay dance show. Uh, and the learning experience was how relevant to people who were not gay, they found the show. Uh, we were like, what are we doing with a little niche thing that's only going to capture like the attention of like a small percentage within a percentage of the larger festival. Um, and it really, uh, we were really happily surprised by how many people uh, found something uh, that resonated for them in the show. Uh, my first solo show at Fringe, I remember being terrified. I remember being thinking I had bitten off way more than I could chew. Uh, and 
the the excitement of getting good reviews and having people respond to your work uh, was just such a such a thrill. It was just so so cool. It was just no other words for that than it was just so cool. Uh, and the last show that I I did at Fringe hashtag Candor and Ebb, uh, that has become one of my favorite shows because my obsession with Candor and Ebb was always this private little thing that was just for me. And the first time I did the show, I was like, okay, now it's out of my system and I can move on with my life. Uh, and then I walked out and it was like a full house of people really excited uh, to see the show. And it just, uh, over the years, it kept snowballing and kept getting bigger and kept developing. And uh, every time we did it, uh, it got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. So by the time we got to Fringe, it was in really, really, really great shape. Uh, and uh, we sold out the entire run. There wasn't a ticket to be had. And that's a super cool thing. Um, but the learning lesson really was uh, the thing that I am passionate about is fascinating for other people to watch you know as artists we have to we have to love and believe in the thing that we're doing because our enthusiasm our passion our love our excitement really translates to to other people and uh one of my favorite things about that show was just you know um people would message me a few days after seeing it who don't know me and say, oh, uh, I watched Cabaret for the first time after seeing the show. I listened to Kiss of the Spider Woman for the first time after seeing the show. So that felt pretty cool as well as a fan spreading the gospel of Candor and Ed, getting other people kind of on board with my obsession. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Candor and Ed are, are one of those pairs that they have. There are so many iconic songs out there but mm-hmm. there's also so many that people maybe don't know that are mm-hmm. so, I mean, the, the one that comes to mind for me is uh, Ring the Bells, yeah. which uh, I, I mean, I think that was written for Liza Minnelli's Liza with a Z show, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it, it wasn't necessarily in a specific Broadway uh, full you know, company show that the people are, are looking for. Um, and I had never heard it before. And I think two years ago or three years ago, um, Stephanie J. Block was uh, performing with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra Mm -hmm. and it was one of the numbers that she did and hearing it for the first time I was like crying I was laughing so hard it's such a good song it's such a brilliant piece and there's so much you know performance wise that can be done with it right Mm -hmm. um it's just one of those hidden gems that it's good that you know people are able to share that yeah, and it's 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 interesting that you use the word hidden gems because that was kind of my guiding vision for the show. Uh, when we were putting it together, I said uh, we made a list. I was like, we're not going to do New York, New York. We're not going to do cabaret. We're not going to do maybe this time. Um, we're only going to do ten seconds from Chicago. I think if <laughs> I think if you add up everything in in, in our Kendra Neb show from Chicago, I think it's like. 18 bars maybe <laughs> uh, of the show. Uh, but it was really important to me that we expose the hidden gems because everybody knows the big tunes. Everybody, like no, nothing I do will top Liza's version of Cabaret or, 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 or maybe this time. Uh, so why try, you know? Like it's, it's for me, it was about discovering the, discovering the hidden gems, as you said. Awesome. And, 
you mentioned Liza and you've actually met Liza Minnelli, correct? Yeah, yeah. I've worked with her. She's awesome. Okay, so uh, some things that uh, I tell people about Liza, uh, she's fluent in French, uh, which, you know, is not the first thing that people think of. Um, she is uh, she's extraordinarily uh, nice and kind. You are not going to find anybody in the industry who has a bad thing to say about her personality. Yes, she is wacky, but so are the rest of us, you know, right? You know, we're all, we're all uh, a little bit loop-de-doo. Um, but she really, really is a kind and thoughtful person. She is uh, very, uh, she's a very skilled musician and artist. She can um, listen to, uh, listen to what the orchestra sounds like and uh, decide that the oboe needs to be brought up just a little bit and then they do it and then the piece sounds totally, totally different and more cohesive because she uh, 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 heard that 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 missing bit. Um, and she's also somebody who, as she, uh, as she has gotten older, uh, she found ways to make her performances work for her on her own terms. So can she handle the big belting, tear the roof off numbers anymore? At her age, she doesn't need to. She's already done it. It's old news for her. So let her sing, let her sit in a director's chair and sing uh, like an Asnavor song or, or some, some something that really requires acting chops as opposed to like the big belty things. Um, I really admire her. Uh, I really, as much as I try to uh, keep it out of my performances, it's very obvious she's an influence on me. Just the, the, the way that I move my hands, the, the, the way that I hit notes, uh, the, the positions I take when I'm, when I'm uh, hitting the, the last note of a song. Um, it's all uh, uh, it's it's all Liza filtered through RGH in a way, <laughs> <laughs> right? So I mean, it's amazing that you have you know such great things to say and you had such a great experience. But uh, you know, a lot of people caution you know you should never meet your idols because yeah. you could be disappointed. I mean, without singling anyone out, has that ever happened to you where you've you've met someone who you looked up to or had a very nice picture of in your mind and it just wasn't the experience you were hoping for um uh, no actually i've 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 been exceedingly uh exceedingly lucky in that all the people who really are on that pedestal for me have been really really lovely except for fred ebb uh, John Kander uh, through the years has been wonderful. I only actually got to meet uh, Fred Ebb once and he was really cold and, and standoffish and uh, called security on me. And it was, it, was, it was a whole thing, but everybody else has been, has been really, really wonderful. Um, the one person that I haven't met uh, and I don't want to, cause I just, I don't, I think this exact thing would happen where it wouldn't live up to my, my fantasy of it is Barbara Streisand. Um, we all know that uh, Barbara isn't really into the whole fan thing. She doesn't like being fawned over in that way. Um, so I like I know that if I was even within a mile of her, I wouldn't 
be able to stop myself from fawning and crying and having that like intense emotional reaction. It's Barbara Streisand. I mean, come on. Uh, so, and she wouldn't like that. So uh, she's somebody that I'm kind of, uh, I've made peace with like, it's okay if I, I uh, if I don't ever meet her because it just wouldn't be, uh, it, it would be, it wouldn't be, um, a fun situation, but so many other people uh, have been so kind and so wonderful and thoughtful and generous with their time um, with me. Uh, Eartha Kitt, um, James Brown, um, Liza for sure. Um, Cheetah Rivera is uh, my mentor, and and uh, we've been close through the years. And she's somebody who is who really, really changed my life in a, in a, in a major way. Um, and even Canadian people, uh, Mark Cassius is somebody, uh, who over the years has just been so wonderful and so encouraging. And, you know, like as, as a black queer person, uh, in musical theater, Mark has seen it all and done it all from, from Broadway to Japan to across the States, across Canada, he really has kind of excelled at the heights of show business um, and has made it possible for other people like him to walk through the doors behind him, even if we don't always think it's possible or we're capable of it or are the right person to do it. Mark is really lovely about um, uh, giving us that reassurance and, uh, and that confidence that we, uh, that we can. That's amazing. And, yeah. and you mentioned that uh, Cheetah Rivera, it was your yeah. mentor. I mean, yeah. you know, just casually <laughs> something that some of the people could say. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, obviously without sharing anything you're not comfortable with, yeah. what what is that that process like when you, you do have someone who is a veteran of this business kind of, you know, showing you the ropes and, and offering you that advice when yeah. you're maybe, you know, not sure of, of certain things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, uh, uh, I let myself ask important questions. And by important questions, um, what's an example of an important question? Uh, I could have, I could have asked Cheetah, what's it like when you're up high on the spider web? Uh, and I didn't ask her that because I asked her, what do you do when you don't feel you're at a hundred percent, but that's what the audience expects? How do you, how do you get through that? Um, questions like that, uh, I think, uh, uh help that process. Um, being, being dedicated and being hardworking and, and taking things seriously and being disciplined is part of it. Um, uh, I, in my youth, I was a little bit of a party boy, but it never uh, it never affected my work. It never crossed paths with my professional uh, obligations. So that kind of like uh, old school uh, discipline and uh, dedication to what you do is uh, something that uh, I learned from other people, from older people and from previous generations. Which is not to say, obviously, that younger people and, the, and current generations aren't disciplined and aren't dedicated, but it's just a different beast for, for people right. from, from previous generations. And uh, finding the rewards in that, finding the rewards in doing the show that you don't want to do. You've had, you know, your 
seven shows of the week and now it's your Sunday matinee. And the last thing that you want to do is, is go out there and do a good show. Um, but you gotta, and you gotta do it with a smile on your face and you gotta do it like it's opening night. Um, things like that. I learned from people of that generation. Um, things like how to, how to be a team player, how to lead a team. Um, when you watch somebody like like a cheetah or like Eliza or like a Mark Cassius, um, it sometimes seems like they they have an inner glow. And when they walk in the room, uh, immediately uh, they're the leader of the space. Immediately, people have faith and and confidence and respect for them. Um, and things like that don't happen overnight. Things like that are are kind of like earned through experience and not always good experience. Um, yes, those people are are absolutely stars and celebrities, but they also have a lot of not great stories. Uh, um, Cheetah has ha- has experiences of auditioning for things uh, and being told that she's too Latina or not Latina enough. Um, uh, Liza certainly has had um, all kind of health challenges to to get through over the years. Mark Cassius worked for Garth Drabinsky for many years, you know. So there's 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 lots of things to to overcome, and it's the way that you overcome them that kind of shapes the person who you are and shapes the way that you uh, work in the room. Um, if there's uh, if, if there's advice that I was going to give to uh, somebody else, it would be that being a singer or an actor, it's not about hitting your B flat perfectly. It's not about, you know, kicking your face or, or squelting higher than everybody else. It's about the way you deport yourself in rehearsal. It's about the way that you treat your colleagues. It's about the way that you, um, present yourself as a performer and honor the work that you're given. Those are the things that make people uh, uh, special and unique and have lasting careers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think there's, there's that side of it. And there's also the audience needs to respect the art because it it can become so tricky, you know, and I, I guess that's, you know, we've talked about the upside of that instant, gratification so to speak of having that live audience but i guess that's kind of the one downside is that if your audience is being disrespectful it can make it challenging to absolutely to, absolutely. to engage in that i mean <laughs> what comes to mind is of course that now infamous uh patty lapone gypsy cell phone <laughs> <laughs> moment <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts on uh, on that situation and and when a phone goes off in the audience yeah. like uh, so I've got several thoughts and they're all conflicting. So A, that phone should like phones should never be on in an audience. It annoys me that in 2020 people still don't know how to turn off their phone. Um I think it's hilarious that Patty stopped the show. I also think it's incredibly unprofessional that she stopped the show. Um put those two together and you have an experience where she's 
suddenly off center and really has to fight to find um uh, to find uh, her her grounding and her center. So all of a sudden, Rose's turn is actually alive. And it's actually, you're watching somebody try to figure out something in front of you. And it's not just like the show-stopping song. It's actually like a real process of, of somebody having a meltdown in front of you, which is so watchable and so great and i'm so jealous of everybody who's in the audience that night who got to watch it happen so you know i think it's 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 several things depending on what on on what day you ask me i'm i'm either like oh it's awful or like oh it's so cool that happened yeah i I had a situation a situation at fringe once where uh during my candor up show after the the opening song, uh, like lights went down, lights come up. I open my mouth to start the lines of the first scene, and a woman in the audience put up her hand like she had a question. And I was like, "I guess we're just gonna hold the show for a sec." I thought maybe she had a medical situation or something. So I said, uh, "Can I can I help you, ma'am?" And uh, she said, "Yes, uh, I love the show. It's all wonderful. Can you ask the piano player to just play quieter?" And I was like, <laughs> it was such an like an awkward weird moment because I I wanted to curse her out, but if I had done that, I would have lost the audience for the rest of the show. They would have right. been annoyed with me for being rude to this woman. So uh, on my uh, on my feet, I kind of had to had to find a way to handle it because of course I'm not going to ask my piano player to play it quietly. Like it's set at a level for a reason. Um, and I think it's, you know, like, I think it's, it's, it's because of the discipline that I have that I was able to very quickly figure out, Ryan, don't lose the audience, but solve the situation and keep the show going. You kind of have to think on, on several levels. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it, it's, it's weird when, when audiences are, are, are less than respectful, but I don't know that they think about it in terms of respect. You know, I, I'm sure the guy with the ringing phone in Patti LuPone's audience, you know, I'm sure he didn't leave it on to disrespect her. I'm sure maybe he was expecting an important call. Maybe he thought he silenced it. Well, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And and it is, it's, it's one of those things where, and it's surprising to me that theater has been around for a while. And it is surprising to me that basic etiquette is, is not, Mm-hmm. You know, I, God, I remember a uh, couple years ago now, um, maybe more than that, uh, the Judas Kiss was playing at Mervish. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I'd, I saw it once and I had really, really terrible seats. Um, I think we were in like the last row of the balcony or something. <laughs> so uh, got tickets to go back in slightly better seats. We were in the first row of the dress circle. And uh, <laughs> so they... The, you know, they do the pre-show announcement, you know, please silence your phone, blah, blah, And like four seats down for me is this 80-year-old man. And he, you know, pulls out his phone and he's got like the one finger. Yeah. And he's like right up to his face. And the flashlight comes on. Oh, no. <laughs> and he like looks at it. You know? And then he just like puts his phone on his lap. And it, you know, he's got like this creepy like <laughs> light illuminating his face because the house lights are going out. And we're just like <laughs> looking down the row. <laughs> like, and people who are, you know who haven't seen the show 
know, the house lights are going down and we see this light, you know, people are like, oh, is this guy part of it? What's, what's happening here? <laughs> and it, it was like the most awkward thing because, you know, obviously he wasn't meaning disrespect. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be problematic. He just, man did not know how to use his phone and turn yeah. off the flashlight. So yeah. yeah, it is, it is challenging, you know, to kind of get everyone on, on a, a same you know level of of respect and mm -hmm. understanding also people understanding the way that that one light in the audience can impact the, the performance on stage so it's 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 interesting i mean you know if if you want to talk about uh <laughs> questionable things that have happened i mean everyone has their their theater <laughs> but that's theater also gone wrong stories that's also, I think, like why we why we love theater and why theater is awesome because we're all in the same room together. Mm -hmm. We're all we're all when the when the set falls over, we all saw it happen, and we all have to figure yeah. out a, a, a way to deal with it. Um, I uh, I'm trying to think of like th things that I've seen go wrong. I've definitely seen a performance of Phantom of the Opera where the chandelier didn't crash. Um, I've definitely uh, uh, I've been in shows that I've had uh, flying scenery where uh, unfortunately it's conked somebody on the head as it's coming down, mm. which is like, it's hilarious, but it's also actor safety, right? Like it's, that's and a very- And also the poor, the poor producers that are cringing somewhere about the amount of paperwork exactly. that they're going to go through. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So it's like, to me, that's what makes theater- exciting not the potential injuries but just that when when things don't go entirely as planned when things are right. just not quite perfect that's that's what i'm interested in and yeah. that's what makes theater different from like film and tv and recorded media yeah i think i think my most awkward uh theater gone wrong situation is thankfully it wasn't during the show um but i was doing a show in 2017 at alumni and uh, we had co-stage managers because they operate on a volunteer basis. So getting people to commit was, you know, very difficult. So we had co-stage managers. And the stage manager that we had in that day um, had never done the pre-show announcement before. So she said to me, can you just walk on stage, do the announcement and walk off? And the show was such a mess. At that point, I was like, sure. So I, <laughs> she, she phones down from the booth and goes, okay, yeah, you're good to go you know go do so i i'm out on stage i start the pre-show announcement and i glance up to the booth and i see her going oh no i'm like what <laughs> now i'm like 15 seconds into this 20 second spiel like what am i gonna keep going with <laughs> um, but i look over and see she's the only one there and there's no board up in the booth with her oh, and then i see oh. her run out of the booth so i'm like okay What's more awkward, if I stand here and ramble for an unknown amount of time, or if I just walk off and everyone expects the show to start and it doesn't? <laughs> so I uh, had to give a brief history lesson on the context of the show. I basically right. re reiterated the program notes um, and just talked very slowly. It had dramatic effect until, until I saw people ran to the booth. Um, and it turns out that he had gone out for a smoke break and the door locked behind him. So, you know, things, things happen. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we, you know, theater does, like you said, you know, things go wrong and we, we're in that moment together. 
but have is there any one moment from from your experience where something went right or i mean you know obviously things were right all the time but you had like a real moment where it was just like this was perfect uh yes yeah um uh again it's my my candor nub show so in 2015 we got to do it in new york city which was exciting um we uh did it uh in the big room at don't tell mamas which is exciting because don't tell mama is a song from cabaret and so there's it was thematically appropriate and you know it's we always I don't want to speak for everybody, but, you know, we always kind of imagine in our heads, like, when we win our Oscar, like, what we're going to wear, what we're going to say, you know, that kind of thing. And for so long, uh, in my head, I had always been like, when I get my big show in New York, it's going to look like this. It's like, the light's going to be here. This person's going to be there. Like, I just had this whole fantasy about it. Um, And... uh, I got, you know, you, you get older and over the years, you kind of uh, become a little bit, a little bit more of a realist uh, uh, with things. So anyway, so the show got to go to New York. It was really, really exciting. Um, uh, a bunch of uh, Canadians on Broadway uh, came to see the show, which is really, really cool. Donna McKechnie stopped by before the show to say, break a leg, have a good show. So that was really, really awesome. And we get, we get through, through the show it went really, really well. I'm very, very happy with it. And then the encore is uh, the song A Quiet Thing. And uh, the opening lyrics are, when it all comes true, just the way you planned, um, you'd think you'd hear a choir sing, but it's a quiet thing. And literally, as I was saying the words, when it all comes true, just the way you planned, my mind snapped back. It was literally an out-of-body experience. And I was like, this is, this is exactly the scene that I pictured years ago. And the light is over here, and it's this color, and Mark Selby's over here, and I'm wearing this thing that I always imagined, and I have people from all parts of my life in front of me. It was literally like, like the scene I had in my head for years and years and years. And it just totally happened by accident. So... For me, that was a moment where I was like, things happened as they should. Like, the, everything everything that got me here was the right thing, even when it hurt, even when it felt, like, uh, dark or wrong or incorrect or depressing. Um, everything that got me here was, was right. And uh, it reflected in Fred Ebb's beautiful lyrics. So I felt good about that. <laughs> that's amazing and you know on that note do you have any advice for for people who are just starting out in their career and just you know starting out to or, or maybe interested in in kind of creating their their own show around their interests yeah yeah so uh i would say uh, if you're just starting out never say that you're an aspiring actor or an aspiring singer you're an actor or you're a singer i don't believe in the idea of aspiring you either are or you aren't um, and if you have an idea and you're working on something, that means you are. Welcome to the club. Awesome. Um, in terms of creating your own show, uh, something that I always think about is what is what is unique about the thing that I'm trying to do or say? If I'm making a cabaret and I'm building up to a moment that's personal and special to me, am I going to use a song like 
um, Defying Gravity, which is a song that everybody sings and we have heard a million times from a show that's been running on Broadway a million years? Or am I going to dig really, really hard to find a song that is expresses what I want to say, but might not be familiar to people hearing it for the first time? Because that way, uh, they lean in and they're interested and they uh, it, it, it pulls them into what you're doing. They have to listen a bit more carefully and you get to affect them with your... Um, experience and your life and your words and it's not them reacting to the end of act one of wicked it's them reacting to you and your idea and what you're putting out there um uh piano cabarets are cool i love a good piano cabaret but uh i also think it's really really cool to have like a trio like piano bass and drums or piano guitar or uh, guitar and drums, you know, like uh, experiment with with instruments and and see see if you have friends who play or or if you know if you have a friend of a friend who plays or if you play something yourself, accompany yourself. Um, different sounds, like different audio experiences, are, are cool to play with and in cabaret. And most of all, just you know, just like find the find the thing that's you think of the stories and the experiences that are uh yours and yours alone that haven't ever happened to anybody else um they might have happened to other people in a different way or the lesson learned might be the same but for me the best solo shows are the ones that come from like the unique singular experience of the person who's doing them that's really really good advice (laughs) So, I mean, you've now you've told us that you've kind of checked off a lot of those boxes on on your uh, bucket list. You mm-hmm. know, you've you've got the Now Magazine cover. You've done that New York show. What's next for you? And how do you keep that as exciting and keep that momentum going for you now that you've kind of checked off the things that were previously kind of like the goals? Yeah, uh, uh, I still I still want to play Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, there's still a whole bunch of roles that I haven't gotten to play yet that I would love to. Um, so for me, the like the journey the journey still continues, and I have been very fortunate, and a lot of the things that I've wanted to do uh, have happened and have come true. But uh, there's a lot of things that haven't also, and and things that I kind of put down because I, I, I never thought they, that they were possible. Um, and there's new things that have, that have popped up. Um, I'm very much somebody who is, uh, I'm a Virgo, so I'm always thinking two steps ahead. I'm never kind of like confident where I am. I'm never really entirely happy looking backwards. I like a forward, a forward momentum. So for me, sitting down and being like, well, I did this and I did this. I'm not Norma Desmond, you know, like I'm not sitting in my bedroom surrounded by pictures and statues of myself. I'm out there in the world, like meeting new people and being inspired and, and talking to older people and talking to younger people and finding out what, uh, where they're at and, and staying involved with the industry uh, through my work at equity, which has been really uh, an exciting, fulfilling, educational, um, impactful thing to do. 
It's amazing. Uh, so, so before we go, just a couple quick, you know, lightning <laughs> round questions for you here. Um, Broadway bucket list, top three roles that you would want to play. Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, Molina in Kiss of the Spider Woman. Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> awesome. And keeping the, the Sunset Boulevard thing alive, Glenn yeah. Close or Patti LuPone? Glenn Close. <laughs> I love Patti LuPone, but Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, top three favorite songs to perform? Ooh, that's tricky. Uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls from The Little Mermaid. Um, Mine Hair from Cabaret. And, oh, uh, Come Sail Away by Styx. It's not a musical song. It's from a band. Uh, but I love that song. Amazing. Uh, three favorite shows, Broadway shows to watch. Cats. I can watch Cats until the cows come home. I love Cats. Unironically, I love Cats. So I would say Cats. I would say uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Uh, and I'll say Phantom of the Opera because the act one of Phantom is just solid theater making. All right. One musical that you think was adapted well as a film and one that you think was not adapted well. Ooh. Um, and you can't say Cats as the one that wasn't yeah. adapted well because <laughs> everyone hated that. <laughs> That's just a um, fact. That's not an opinion. <laughs> I will say the one that I don't think was adapted well as a film is Dream Girls. Um, the one that I do think was adapted well as a film, uh, I feel like the obvious answer that I think everybody's going to call me on is is Chicago. But uh, that uh, I will say Jesus Christ Superstar because I think it it was really the film adaptation it was really true to the roots of the piece and and what the the creators were aiming for. Three songs that you feel like are overdone aside from Define Gravity. Uh three songs that are overdone. Oh, um The Wizard and I. <laughs> <laughs> so everything from Wicked. <laughs> yeah. Uh all that jazz and um What's a song that just puts me, puts my teeth on edge? Um, maybe, maybe Anthem from Chess. Okay. All right. That's, and not how, really, that's not really overdone. I just don't like when people don't do it well. People, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough, I, fair enough. I, I'm, I'm going to take that back and I'm going to replace it with... Um... Oh, this is a, 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 a hard question. Um, somewhere that's green, I think, is overdone. Yeah. It's hard but, to find something new in that song at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about three songs that are, are maybe underappreciated? Underappreciated. Uh, uh, Prague Guy's song from In the Heights. Uh, it's a great song for tenors. It's got those poppy high notes that you can really, really show off. Um, uh, Glitter and Be Gay for sopr any sopranos out there. Uh, you can really uh, dazzle with that song. And um, Life Is from the musical Zorba. Uh, which is a Candor musical from the 70s, uh, which is really, really uh, 
dark. The words are dark, but the music is 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 jaunty and uplifting and 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 exciting. It's a good belt song too. All right, and last question: If yeah. you could claim any song out there as your own signature song, what would it be? Ooh, um, might be "Colored Lights" from the Rink. I love that song. I love that it it it, it it's. There's kind of three sections to it. There's like the the jaunty carnival uh, waltzy section. There's the uh, singer songwritery poppy section, and then there's the like unhinge your jaw and belt for the gods end section. So it kind of has the the three things that I that I do pretty well. I love that song. So I'm claiming colored lights. I'm claiming it from Liza. She can't do it anymore. Uh, I'm claiming it from, uh, oh, what's her face? Uh, she was in Xanadu, not Jackie Hoffman. Mary Testa. I'm claiming from, from Mary Testa. She can't do it anymore. Um, Karen Mason would probably punch me in the face if I said she can't do it anymore, but I'm going to claim it for my own anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this and being a guest on our series. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anywhere online that people can find you if they're interested in keeping up with you? Yeah, uh, so I'm on all social media as Ryan G. Hines. It's just my name, R-Y-A-N-G-H-I-N-D-S. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, and uh, I have a website as well, ryanghines.com com or ca oh my god i can't remember my own website um but uh i i I actually i actually think it's both (laughs) i think i I bought both domains just for situations like this um but uh it's got a lot of my uh past work and and uh photos from my past work and descriptions of it uh there so amazing thank you so much thank you wendell 